0: Hello, everyone, and another very warm welcome back to the Dr. Christian Heim podcast, where we're living for mental health, love, and compassion. It's really great to have you with us again. My name is Caroline Heim, and I'm sitting here with Dr. Christian Heim. Hello. And this week, we're looking at part three of your amazing brain and even more amazing mind. So, the question on everyone's mind is what is your mind? Well, that's what we'll be talking about here. We'll be exploring several answers and they're very interesting. And some of the findings about your amazing brain will certainly amaze you. Good. All right, then well, let's get started over to you. In the first of its three part series, I talked about your amazing brain. In the second part, I talked about some of the brain chemicals that are working in your brain and some of them that I use in my practice here. Now, I want to talk to you about your amazing mind. Unlike your brain, it can't be seen. But since ancient civilization, we have pondered what the mind is. Now, I don't believe that we will understand what the mind is until we understand the universe itself, because we have quite a few unanswered questions about the universe. Is this material universe all there is? Is there an infinite number of universes? Does some sort of metaphysical or spiritual life exist? These questions, at least at the moment, are beyond science. And to understand the mind, we have to know these answers. But in 1997, we got the answers. We got psychologist Steven Pinker publishing a book, called How the Mind Works. So fantastic, it became a bestseller and we now knew how the mind works. Except that three years later, cognitive neuroscientist Jerry Fodor publishes a book called The Mind Doesn't Work That Way. So we're waiting for Steven Pinker to come out with a book that's entitled something like, I didn't say it worked like that, you misunderstood me, but he hasn't done it yet. But here's the thing, If the experts can't make up their minds, if the experts can't agree, how are we supposed to know about the mind? In fact, not only can experts not agree about how the mind works, experts cannot agree on a definition of what the mind is. So we're still at square one. However, having said that, there are still some amazing things to be said about your mind. And in this podcast... I will be spending most of my time on, what is the mind? Is it separate from the brain? And what are some of the amazing things that your mind is capable of doing? But first, I wanna start off with some personal experience. You see, before I became a consultant psychiatrist, while I was a junior doctor, I had the privilege in assisting a lot of really excellent surgeons in surgery. I'll take you to a caesarean section where a woman who is about to give birth to a child for some reason either doesn't want to have a vaginal delivery or can't have a vaginal delivery out of medical reasons. So we have an operation and during the operation, It's very simple. All that we do is we cut through the skin, we cut through the layers of muscle, we cut into the cavity, we cut into the organ, and there's a prize at the end. New life, a baby. And the amazing thing about this operation is that the woman is conscious for all of it. And being conscious, we make sure that she's feeling okay, we explain what's going on, We will have some chit-chat and some respectful professional relationship banter, but she is conscious and experiencing it all because she's not under a general anesthetic. She's usually under an epidural only. Now I want to take you to another operation. This is an operation on a 65-year-old man to remove a brain tumor. While the operation is actually underway, the man is under general anesthetic. During that time, he is unconscious. He doesn't have any desires, no preferences. He doesn't share his opinions. Uh, we're not in relationship with his mind, but we are in relationship with his brain. You see, it's taken 45 minutes just to put a window into his skull, and then we start the delicate operation of removing the tumor from the brain. And along the way, the surgeon may say things like, oh, this skull was a bit thicker than I thought it was, or, oh, this is a bit more of a mess than I thought it was, or Christian, have you ever seen anything like this before? And we talk like this, we are not interacting with the person. And it's the same whether you interact with a person's brain, their heart, their bones, their appendix, whatever you're operating on. You look at it objectively and you do what needs to be done. You're not interacting with the person's mind at all. In stark contrast to this is what I do in psychotherapy. Whenever I undertake psychotherapy with somebody, I am always in a professional trusting relationship with them. We enter into mind states. That is, We reveal mind states. We arouse mind states, thoughts, feelings, ideas, motivations, beliefs, and truths from that person. We explore and we interact on a mind level. Now, that person's brain is actively involved and my brain is actively involved, but we are actually interacting at The mind level. So in other words, there is something going on in the space between us and sometimes you can feel it. You can feel somebody's sadness. You can feel somebody's anger. You can feel somebody's disgust or their critical thoughts and you engage with that. That's what the mind is capable of. So this brings me to the word psyche, because after all, I'm a psychiatrist, which means I do something with the psyche. And one of the meanings for psyche is the mind. A psychiatrist is an iatrist that is a healer of the psyche or the mind. So a psychiatrist is somebody who is there to heal a broken mind. A psychologist is an ologist or somebody who studies the psyche, the normal mind. So strictly speaking, a psychologist is somebody who studies the human mind. But psychologists do a lot of clinical psychology in which they are treating somebody's mind. There's a lot of crossover, but that's basically what the origin of the words were. In ancient Greek, however, psyche didn't just mean mind. It also meant breath, soul, personhood, What's inside that cannot be seen. And a very interesting meaning, it also means butterfly. Butterfly. That's crazy. That means psyche refers to this creature that starts off as a crawling caterpillar that ends up as liquid mush in a cocoon and then... Is transformed to be able to fly free as what we see as a butterfly. So there's something about the butterfly that is free, able to go through the air to all sorts of places, unlike the caterpillar. And the image is that the butterfly is the mind, whereas the caterpillar is the brain. Because the brain can't just go wherever it wants to. In your imagination, in your mind, you can go anywhere you want, just like a butterfly can. All right, so let's look a bit closer at this question, what is the mind? Now, the bottom line, as I have let you know, is that we do not know exactly. Even though philosophers, scientists, thinkers, psychologists, and psychiatrists have been pondering this question for a long time, it's important because we all have a mind, we all experience it. All right, are you staying with me in this? All right, further with the mind, we're going to look at what the mind encompasses. So some of the different parts of the mind, all of this is in your mind, because basically your mind encompasses all that you subjectively experience. Most importantly, your consciousness. When you are conscious, like a woman is during a Caesarean section, you know what's going on. You can have desires and intentions. You can reflect on ideas and thoughts and feelings. And most importantly, you experience what's going on. The 65-year-old man who was being operated on for a brain tumor was unconscious. He didn't know what was being done. His intentions just weren't there at that time. He couldn't reflect on anything that he was doing or that we were doing. And it's almost as though he didn't experience it. And if anybody out there has had a general anesthetic, that's actually what happens. It's like that part of your life is just taken out because the experiences are not recorded in your memory. Some more things that your mind encompasses. It encompasses your awareness of your surroundings of your relationships, your imagination, your personality. It encompasses all your thoughts, feelings, and motivations. It encompasses what you call a sense of self, that feeling of, I exist, and I'm in control of this body. And it encompasses your will. Now, the question is, is your will free? Can you actually make decisions for yourself? And we'll look at that just in a moment, because we're going to go on to the question of, is the mind separate from the brain? And broadly speaking, just to make a very complex area uh, a lot more easier to understand, there are two main ways of looking at this. The first one is what's called dualism, the belief that the mind and the brain are separate. Now, to have this belief You have to presuppose a metaphysical world, a spiritual world, so that the mind can be separate from the body. This is what René Descartes in the 17th century came up with when he thought about, how do I know that I exist? What can I really be sure of? And he came up with that famous saying, I think, therefore I am. And in that, he saw, because he presupposed God, He saw that the mind was distinct from the brain and the body. The other way of looking at this question has to do with a materialist point of view. And this presupposes that there is no spiritual world. There is no metaphysical world. And that the mind results from brain function. Now, if the mind results from brain function, and therefore the mind is a psychological result of a biological process, then the idea that we have a sense of self, something that is free from the constraints of the body or separate from the brain, is actually a delusion. And the idea is that free will doesn't exist because if the mind results from a biological function of the brain, then it all comes down to chemicals, atoms, molecules, and electrical currents. All right, related to this is a recent idea that, well, we know that the mind emerges from the brain, but it can't be reduced to just the brain. There is something more going on. After all, when we interact with other people, there is something going on in the space between the people, and that has to be beyond the confines of the body. Then... One of the ideas is that the mind is simply the body's information processing system. It's like a computer. Sure, it's really complex, but then what the brain does is really complex. So a really complex function demands a really complex structure. And people think that perhaps the mind is in modules, little areas. I mean, there's an area in the brain for language. We know where that is. And there's an area in the mind for language. Language is part of your mind. There's an area in the brain for decision making, and decision making is part of the mind. There's a part of your brain that generates feelings empathy, compassion, anger, sadness, contentment, and these are all experienced in the mind. We also know where planning and judgment happens in the brain, so they too maybe parts of the mind. Now we don't have the whole picture yet, but the idea is that we can come to know the mind as a whole lot of little parts. So without having the answer, there are a few things that we can say. We can definitely say that the brain and the mind exist and they are very closely interrelated. We know that if you change the brain, you end up changing the mind. For example, somebody's personality will change when they are injured or their memory won't be working as well and they can't experience life as much if they have Alzheimer's disease. And aspects of drug taking also change the mind's capacity. But we also know that changing the mind changes the brain. We now know that anything you learn, anything you put your mind to, will result in more neuron connecting with each other. It changes the structure of the brain. We know that if you practice violin for a long time, that your corpus callosum, that set of nerves that bind together the left and the right brain, get bigger. Okay, And we also know that one of the things that decides what genes get expressed in us is actually our dominant thoughts and feelings. And that opens up a whole bizarre area that we have not come to terms with yet. So one of the amazing things about your brain is that, sorry, your mind, is that when we contemplate these things, we're actually left with more questions than with answers. But one of the amazing things is that you can just be amazed knowing that your mind is so connected to your brain and that you can use your mind to make changes to the brain rather than vice versa. I'm now going to give you a model of how you can conceptualize your mind knowing that you can't see it, knowing that it is closely related to your brain while not quite being just your brain. But to be able to do that, I've got to introduce you to my grandfather. You see, my grandfather was an electrician. And when I was a really young boy, I was allowed to go into his garage and get out some bits of wood and hammer away here and do this and that. But one thing that I was really fascinated with was magnetism. He had lots of different sized magnets and uh, my cousins and I would have great time playing with these magnets. My My grandfather had this amazing trick. What he would do is he would magnetize screwdrivers so that instead of having to reach over with another hand to pick up a screw, all that he would do is he would get his magnetized screwdriver, touch a screw with it, and it would be there hanging off the edge of the screwdriver, and he could almost screw things in using only one hand. I found that fascinating. Now, the question is, What changed in the screwdriver after it was magnetized? After my grandfather just took it and stroked it over a strong magnetic field for a long time, what happened? My grandfather magnetized the screwdriver. He didn't add anything to it. But what he did was he caused the electrons to line up in a certain direction according to the laws of electromagnetism, so that the screwdriver now had around it a force field. Now, if you've ever done that experiment where you've taken a magnetized bar, put it under a piece of paper, then put all iron filings over the top, and you saw the force field of a magnet, that's what happened to my grandfather's screwdriver. It became a magnet with a force field. So, what I want to suggest is perhaps. The mind is something like that, that perhaps, just like all of matter, and we know, thanks to Albert Einstein, that matter and energy can be transformed into each other, perhaps we, like all of matter, are nothing more than electromagnetic force fields, and that, The brain is the matter side of this force field and the mind is the energy side of this force field. And what this energy force field does is transmit information, including feelings like love, anger and sadness, because sometimes we as people interact like magnets do. Sometimes we attract, sometimes strongly, and sometimes we repel and sometimes strongly. And that's really how all atoms and matter work. So this amazing mind of yours, what are some of the amazing things that it can do? Well, your mind can heal your body. It doesn't mean that we can do this on demand. It doesn't mean that we understand how this happens. But I personally know of about eight to nine people who have healed their bodies of cancer with what we call the placebo effect. According to medical science, they had an aggressive cancer, and some of them went for treatment as part of a trial, and they were treated with no drug, just salt water, and the cancer went. This has happened to Many people, but I personally know of about eight or nine who've had placebo effects like this. It's because the mind believed that something was going to heal them, and so it did. That is totally amazing. The other thing is the mind defends the body. There's a whole area of research called psychoneuroimmunology, and I'll just tear that apart for you. The psycho part is the mind, the neuro is the brain, and immunology is our immune system. So this science looks at how the mind can change the brain, can change the immune system. And what they're looking for is the actual mechanisms, what the chemicals are, what the structures are, so that thoughts and feelings end up affecting our immune system. And we're finding out that the brain and the immune system work together just like a president and an army work together. If the president really knows what they're doing, or if the general really knows what they're doing, then the army work a lot better. And yet there are a lot of things that the army will just take care of without the president knowing, right? The other thing that we find that the mind can do through practice and doing something over and over and over again, it changes the brain. People who are musicians particularly have brains that have been changed by music. I talked about the enlarged corpus callosum, which connects the left and the right brain in violinists. There are other areas of the brain that are enlarged in musicians in particular. That's actually amazing, all right? You try making changes to your liver and you'll have a hard job of it. But whatever you put your mind to will change your brain. So I'm going to go back to psychotherapy. Because psychotherapy is full of people's belief in the rationale that I choose, my methods, and in me personally. It's full of ritual. We will meet together uh, on a weekly basis. We will talk about certain things. Even if I give somebody a pill, that becomes a ritual. So there is a big placebo effect in what I do. Plus, we practice on and we look at somebody's sense of self. This all aids the placebo effect, which is good because we want people to get better and it changes the brain, but more importantly, it transforms the mind. I once read a wonderful book on psychotherapy called Lives Transformed. And in that title, there's a subtle inference about the butterfly, where if somebody comes to psychotherapy as, I know this is gonna sound a bit weird, but uh, as a caterpillar, needing some help they undergo a process in a cocoon and things change so that they can then fly free and more content as a butterfly what has changed when somebody gets better in psychotherapy if we looked at their brain there'd be more connections there'd be there'd be more brain chemicals working well and the person would be more integrated in that they know themselves better and they coordinate different parts of themselves into a consistent but a flexible whole. So in other words, their thoughts and their feelings and their actions would kind of gel together a whole lot more than they didn't before. Now, when I do psychotherapy, I don't interact with the brain but with a very unique real mind, which is the vehicle of a unique person who undergoes a unique process and journey. So be amazed by your own brain and be amazed that whenever you interact with another person, you're interacting with the complexity of a whole new amazing universe that has a mind of its own. Wow, there's a lot to get my mind around there. I hope you enjoyed the references to the butterflies. I absolutely love butterflies, especially the gorgeous blue and black ones that fly around with so much abandon near our home. Hope you enjoyed this three-part series on your amazing brain and even more amazing mind. And we really look forward to your company in a couple of weeks.